Wow. That was awesome. Thank you very much to the band. Uh, welcome, everybody. I'm glad that you're all here. We are in the midst of a sermon series. Just started last week. Uh, you heard sermons from our preaching team last week on the first of this six-part series focusing in on positive megatrends for the 21st century church. And we could use some positive news. Thank you very much, Jeremy. That was very kind of you. Not sure what I'm going to do with that, but it's good to have it there just in case. So positive megatrends for the 21st century church. Last week you heard sermons on uh, service and mission and outreach and doing so locally and globally and how important that is built into the fabric. And that's this trend that's starting to emerge in the Christian church, not just here at Hope. That's kind of been a staple of who we are from the very beginning, but it's starting to spread out. The church is starting to realize we aren't just here to consume spiritual and religious things. We're, we're here to serve. So the sermon last week is called At Your Service, and this week we move to the second of this six-part series, and I'm so excited to, to share this one with you because this one's near and dear to my heart. I think about it all the time, and it's been something that we've tried to build into the, into the fabric of who we are as a church from the very beginning. It's substance over style. Thank God that this is a trend that's emerging in the church because for the last generation or so, it's been a lot about style. And a lot about style over substance. And we lose our way and we get distracted when that happens. And so partly because of that and partly because forces of, uh, that are beyond the church that are happening within this world, cultural trends, those kinds of things, there's been some kind of dire news for the church in this country, in the United States, over the last generation or so. And particularly the last decade or so, there's a downward trend. That's not exactly statistically accurate, but you get the idea. Here, here's what is statistically accurate. These things are all down amongst Americans in the last five or ten years. Belief in God is down. Uh, importance of faith is down. Church membership is down. Worship attendance is down. For whatever reason, God has blessed hope with this um, exception to the rule kind of status in the midst of these trends. We... Um, we think about that a lot, but we don't obsess on it because we know that it's a God thing. And for whatever reason, God is just choosing to, to bless this church. And we're not the only ones. There are other exceptions to this rule, but they are the exceptions. This is the rule. The downward trend is, is less church membership, less worship attendance, uh, less prayer frequency, less Bible reading amongst Americans, and so lower spiritual well-being too. <laughs> I don't find that really all that surprising that spiritual well-being and spiritual health is down, considering the first six are down as well. If we don't believe, if we don't read the Bible, if we don't pray, if we don't come to church, how do we expect our spiritual health to be strong? Mainline churches are down, which is kind of the thing that everybody realized about 20 or 30 years ago. But now it's not just mainline, it's evangelical, it's Roman Catholic, it's Pentecostal, it's non-denominational. Any demographic, any, any category of church that you want to look at in this country, it's down. Without exception in a macro sort of way. There are exceptions when you look at individual congregations, but if you look at groups of churches, you say, well, they're of this style, or they're of this nature, or they're of this denomination, or they take this approach, they're all down. Well, aren't you glad you came to church today? 
I mean, isn't that just great news? What an uplifting kind of thought to start with, and yay, and oh, by the way, the pandemic's back with a vengeance, and woo, what a day. Let's just go on. The Olympics are over. I'm withdrawing already. I don't know what I'm going to do, but America has the most gold medals, so we feel good about that, just barely. Things are down. And so I think a lot of times people from the outside looking in look at the church and they uh, underestimate us. And that's not necessarily a bad place to be because I have some good news today. Here's the first piece of good news. If you know anything about American religious history, you know that this isn't new. That this downward trend has happened before. Three or four times, depending on how you look at the numbers in history. But let's just say conservatively three times. And every single time, I mean, they were worse than they are right now even in, some, in two of those three cases. And every single time... After that happened, after a season of that, there was revival, major revival, massive change. And so if you are a historian and if you believe like I do that history has a tendency to repeat itself, that's very hopeful news. That's good news that says this isn't like some new thing. The temptation is to say, oh, the country's never been like this spiritually before. We've never been in this kind of a condition. We've we've never had the church in in such a precarious place. It's never been so bad uh, for Christianity in this country. It's been this bad at least three other times. And in every single case, historically, revival comes. It comes every single time. So I think sometimes from the outside looking in, but also sometimes from the inside looking around the church, we tend to underestimate what God can do through us. And it isn't what we can do for God, it's what the Holy Spirit can do through us. Maybe it's time for us to look at that even closer and say, God, what is it you want to do through us now? What is this new thing? Because when we underestimate the church, it's almost like we look at it like it's a teenage folk band from Seward, Alaska. I want you to meet the Snow River String Band. How many of you have ever heard of the not famous at all Snow River String Band from Seward, Alaska? Nobody. I'm glad there are no liars here at Hope today. And I can't see at at what campus you're at in Ames or Grimes or Waukee or if you're online. But I hope you didn't raise your hand just to say, well, I think I'm supposed to know them. You probably don't know them because they're not very well known outside of Seward. Seward's a little town in Alaska. And the reason Seward kind of caught my attention is because... My dad and mom grew up in Ketchikan, Alaska, and Seward High School and Ketchikan High School, where my parents grew up, were in the same conference. And so when my dad played basketball for for Ketchikan High School, he would get, how, how is this for a cool way to travel to your high school basketball game? The team would get on an airplane, not an airplane at a regular airport, an airplane that was out on the Pacific Ocean just outside the dock in Ketchikan, and they would fly to Seward, and then they would land in the water, and they would float up to the next dock and go to the, to the gym, and they'd play their game, and then they'd come back. And so I would read all the old clippings from my dad's high school basketball days uh, when he was in Alaska growing up, and Seward would always pop up. So when I saw this, that there's a Snow River string band from Seward, Alaska, I was like, oh, wow, cool, so what a small world. But how do you feel about folk music? I mean, you know, for real. Probably percentage-wise, as I ask that question, there's probably about less than 2% of you who are like, I love folk music. That's my favorite. Give me some more Joan Baez, man. Give me, give me, some, 
Give, give me some of that good old folk music. That's the, that's the best. We need more folk music here at church. That's what we need. We, if we only had more folk music, then I think that would change those trend lines. If we just changed our style, that would do it. More likely, we look at these four 17-year-olds from Seward High School and we underestimate them. But listen to them sing. Just a short little clip from their concert not that long ago in Anchorage at the Anchorage Folk Festival. It's the Snow River String Band, everybody. Four 17-year-olds singing folk music. And this is how sometimes people see the church. That Lydia can really sing. Hallelujah, Lord, she's home to stay. Hallelujah, from Louisiana, she's home to stay. Woo! The Snow River String Band. You're probably looking at me like, you've lost it, Pastor Mike. What on earth does this have to do with this macro trend in the church and the future and all these things? Well, the church gets underestimated. And the temptation is to think the most important thing we have to do, we've got to change our style. We gotta, we, we gotta change the image of these four. Tell them not to be who they are, but to be something they're not. To try to become something that, else. To, to try to be somebody that, that they're not supposed to be, that they weren't made to be, that, that they're not supposed to be, you know, not, not sing their heart music, not, not be there because, because it's all about style and it's all about approach and it's all about the way you do it and, and, and you have to follow the trends and you have to get with the cool crowd. And if you don't get with the cool crowd, you know, you're going to be in big trouble. I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan of folk music, but as soon as I found that clip earlier this week and I played it a few times, it is so stuck in my head. I can't get it out. I'm tempted to show that clip to you two or three more times just so it gets stuck in your head too. But I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to show you another clip with the lead singer, the, the string bass player, 17-year-old Lydia. Lydia's named after a, a faithful woman in the New Testament who lived out the faith that God gave her to, who did so with her eyes on Jesus. So Lydia lives that out. She's a person of faith. She is who she is. She likes folk music, and she found some other friends at school who like folk music, and they play their folk music, and they don't care. They just are who they are. You can underestimate Lydia until you realize she's also in lane three in Tokyo. Take a look. King is behind. Schumacher is a bubble in lane four with a slight lead. And then you've got Jacoby, Jacoby up there in lane three. Jacoby. Challenging Schumacher. We've got 10 meters left. Lydia Jacoby, the 17-year-old from Alaska, is putting on the surge of her career. And Lydia Jacoby is going to win gold for the Exactly, your hotbed of swimming. Alaska King was third. Schumacher with 
the silver. Jacobus. Jacobus Pascas has an Olympic gold medal. Leslie and Richard. underestimate what God can do with anybody. You know that old phrase, don't judge a book by its cover? How do you see Lydia now? How does the whole picture change now? When we remember that God's the one writing our stories. God's the one writing Lydia's story. God's the one writing your story. God's the one writing the story of the church. That God is a God of surprises and comebacks and if we read the New Testament and if we try to read it with fresh eyes, almost every story in the New Testament has a surprise element to it. People are surprised that Jesus could do that. People are surprised by what he teaches. People are surprised by what he does. People are surprised by his resurrection. Even though he said it would be. And so it is with the church. Vastly underestimated, like maybe we are all tempted to underestimate the string bass player and lead singer for the Snow River String Band. Until we realize there's more to her than meets the eye. There's more in her story inside that book than just the cover, than what you see on the surface. She's a 17-year-old who swam 100 meters in a swimming pool in Tokyo, doing the breaststroke faster than any other woman on planet Earth. So she gets a gold medal for it, and some accolades, and she becomes semi-famous, and she makes my sermon, which is probably not like high on her list of things that have happened since she won the gold medal, but, but there it is. And I share that with you just because it's a metaphor for who we are. Sometimes we're the Snow River String Band, and that's just fine. If that's who we are, and that's who God has made us to be. Because there, there's a whole lot more to our story as the Christian church than just downward trend lines. There's a whole lot more to our story and our potential and what God wants to do for us. And the good news for us today isn't just that history teaches us that when there's this downward trend, it leads to revival. The even better news is that there are waves that are emerging, new waves of revival that are coming. You can almost hear them, the thunder of them kind of forming. And so surf's almost up, folks. Grab your surfboards. It's going to be time to ride. And I want to make sure you don't miss it. And one of those macro trends is we're getting back to something of substance, something of substance over style. We are who we are, and we don't have to dress ourselves up and pretend we're something different than who we really are. There's something important about the authenticity of how God has made us to be, and we'll focus even more on that next week. But for today, turn the page, we find these inspiring stories all over Tokyo. Is it just me? The bags under my eyes today are because I cannot stop watching the Olympics at night. I'm not just watching like the NBC type stuff that goes to the local news. I'm the guy who's got all sorts of different channels because I have this streaming TV service called Fubo and you can flip four different channels on the screen at the same time and once I figured that out, I didn't sleep. Because now I don't have to watch commercials anymore and I can just flip to the next event. I mean, I needed to know who won the team handball competition yesterday because I'm totally into it. I don't even really know how to play team handball. But you know, I love the Danes, and Denmark was in the finals, and so it's kind of really important to them, and so it's important to me sort of in a weird, can't sleep sort of way. But it's not just the gold medals and who wins, it's, you know, deeper than that are the stories that sing to us, which again gets to our identity. 
the 800-meter preliminaries where the athlete, uh, last name is Amos from Botswana, one of the favorites to win the 800 in Tokyo, gets tripped up because they're too, there's too big of a crowd as they're all jockeying for position and the American here in the red shirt trips on the rail and he falls down so the, the, the favorite to win the 800 from Botswana or one of the favorites trips over him and their Olympics are done. You don't get a do-over, you don't get a second chance, they're done and so you probably saw it, the image, they, instead of pointing fingers at each other and, and accusing each other and scowling at each other, they embrace and they jog, get up and dust themselves off and jog across the finish line together. Do you know who won the 800 meters at Tokyo? I don't remember either, but I won't forget that for a long time. And on and on it goes. The high jumpers who, who both cleared this astronomically high height and they were tied. And then the judge said to them, well, there has to be a jump off. And, and the athletes looked at the judge and said, well, can we just share first place? Can we both get gold medals? And the judge was like, okay. And they embraced. And would you remember who won the high jump otherwise? The athlete from Qatar and the athlete from Italy? And on and on it goes, story after story after story. The Norwegian woman who, after the triathlon, came and, and ministered to the, to, to the woman from another nation who was broken and hurting and had to stop and used some colorful language that gets lost in translation from Norwegian to English, so don't look it up. But, but it was really kind of her to encourage somebody who was down. This is the church. These are the stories that inspire us. Or it's Caleb Dressel, the guy who won multiple gold medals for the United States in the swimming pool. What did he say? He says, the reason I do this, the reason I'm in this sport is not just to go fast times, but to inspire people and show them where I find my happiness with what God has given me. His tattoo on his, uh, what would that be, left arm is based on Isaiah 40, 31, he says, and God will raise us up on eagle's wings. And right before that, the, the verses leading up to 40, 31 in Isaiah say, when you are crushed, when you are down, when you have been taken, when the downward trend, not just the downward trend of numbers and, and statistics for the church, but the downward trend of how life feels. Is it just me or is it really hard for you to watch the news these days? I mean, it's, it's about all you can stomach. It's like, seriously, we got to hear that story now, and then that's going to follow? And then, and then you want us to stay tuned through the commercials, which is going to be about some prescription that if you take it, you, you might get rid of the scratch on your arm, but you'll probably get lung cancer and a stroke. And then you got to come back to the news and hear the bad news about what's next. How the numbers aren't good with the Delta variant of the, of the COVID virus and here we go again, it almost maybe feels like. But I'll raise you up on eagle's wings when you're down. I'm a God of comebacks. I'm a God you might want to take a closer, more substantive look at. Instead of just on the surface of your faith. Instead of just the stylistic distractions of what Christianity has become for way too many people over the last generation in this country to put your roots down way deeper into the rich, good, productive soil of God's amazing grace and love, and the power of his timeless truth and unchanging word. How deeply rooted are you into those things? 
Or is religion just sort of a thing you do? An aspect of your life over on the edges of, of what you do on, a, on weekends when, when you can fit it in? How deeply rooted are you in the things that actually can produce transformation, a new life for you, hope for you, joy for you despite your circumstances, a peace that passes all human understanding, a love that overwhelms you, that gives you a confidence, that reminds you this is who I am. And so I'm going to stand up there with my string bass and I'm going to sing the song that God puts on my heart. And I'm going to be who God has created to me, me to be because I cannot wait to see what God does with me and you and this whole band called Hope Next. And broader than that, hope belonging to the bigger band called the Christian Church in this world, which depending on what numbers you want to believe is somewhere between two and four billion people strong on the face of the earth. What if this sleeping giant woke up? What if we became who God has made us to be and we stopped worrying so dang much about how we do it and the style of it and we dove deeper into the substance of this good news, transformational word that God gives to us that has the power to change everything and to heal this world and to turn a world that is upside down and start to tip it right side up. We're not playing church here. We're not talking about just singing a song and seeing if you like it. We're talking about making a connection to the eternal God of the universe, the creator and savior of this world, the one who breathes new life into us, the one who is the Holy Spirit who wants to fall upon us right now. Substance, not style. How substantive is your faith? Because that's the thing, that's the new wave that's coming that is going to, I believe, be the one maybe that will lead the way toward the new revival that God certainly has planned. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. Before that and after that, Paul goes out of his way to make a point. Paul doesn't usually do it like this, but he hammers it like three or from the same point from three or four different angles. If you want to know my philosophy of preaching, that's kind of it. Hammer the same point from about 17 different angles to make sure we grab it. Paul says, look, you've lost your way. You're way too into style of your faith. You're way too into the appearances. You're way too into the surface. You're way too into the shallow things. You're, you're spending most of your time talking and arguing about who you follow. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow somebody else. This is my favorite Christian author. This is the preacher I prefer. This is the blogger I like. This is the worship style I like. This is the kind of service I want to go to. This is the setting. This is the way it is. This is how I want it to be. Don't you realize that all those are on the same team? That it isn't a matter of lining up with one or the other? That it's about getting in alignment with Jesus Christ? And if all of those Christian leaders are faithful... They know that their role is not to point you to them, but to point you to Jesus. Paul's pretty upset about it with the Corinthian church. I mean, he's opening chapters. He's hitting them hard with this. He says, look, let, let me put it to you as bluntly as I can. I, I plant seeds. Apollos waters it, but we don't make the church grow. Well, that takes some of the pressure off. We're a part of it. I mean, we're not going to have a harvest. There's not going to be a field if we don't plant the seeds in water. If we don't take care of the fields, 
We've got a role, it's an essential role, it's an absolutely vital role to this revival that God wants to bring. But in the history of Lutheran Church of Hope, we've never converted one soul. I've never converted one person with my preaching or teaching or ministry or being a pastor. God does. I plant, I'm a farmer. I plant seeds or I water them or you plant the seeds and somebody else waters them. That's the church. That's our role. That's our place. We, we play the instruments and the songs and we, and we sing the songs, but it's God who makes the magic of the music happen and the connection. It's God who, who takes that word and that song and, and, and drives it into the hearts of people who hear it. The word goes out and it doesn't come back empty, the Bible says. And so this is the positive megatrend. But then the question is, how do we do this? How, how do we plant those seeds faithfully? How, how do we do this so that the fields are ripe for God to make them grow? It's substance over style. So here's a short list. And I, I don't want you to just think about it collectively as the church. Go ahead and please do that. But I also want you to think about it as an individual within the church too. In your own personal journey with Christ. Don't go too far that way because we're in this together. Christianity isn't an individual sport. It's a team sport. It's something that we do together. Stylistic Christians or stylistic churches are church builders. You say, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with building the church? Doesn't God want us to build the church up, to, to, to grow it? Yeah, there's nothing necessarily terribly wrong with any of these things on the stylistic list. They're just not deep enough. They don't get to the heart of what the Bible says Christianity is. Building up the church, great. That's what stylistic churches and Christians want to do. Substantive churches and Christians want to build up the kingdom of heaven. We want to make heaven more crowded. We aren't doing this to had our membership roles and, and that that's our goal and that's the thing that we sit around and think about and, and we strive for. We say, how can we get more members? We got to get more members. We got to get to be a bigger church. We, we got to be the biggest church around. That's got to be our goal. And when churches do that, they move up from substance to surface. They lose their way. They get distracted. It becomes about the wrong things. And they don't grow, ironically. Show me a church that's focused on growth and I'll show you a church that isn't growing or at least won't be able to sustain that growth. I've been doing this for a while now. I've paid attention to a lot of churches that have come and gone, not just here in the Des Moines area, but all across the country. And when you don't put your roots down deep, you aren't going to be able to sustain that growth. If it's all about growth, if it's all about growing the church, growing the membership, it's all about that, it'll never last. It might work for a while, but it never lasts. The stylistic church typically has leaders who are in churches that are lone rangers. The substantive church is team players. They realize we're on the same team. We want the church across the street to do well. We want the church down the street to do well. We don't care if it's Paul or Apollos. We, we, we don't care. We're not competing with other churches. We're not trying to be bigger or better than they are. We want to serve them too. We, we, we're on the same team. Stylistic churches, though, it's all about us. And are we winning? And are we ahead? Compared to what? Our competition isn't the other church down the street. Our competition is all the other things that distract people from Jesus Christ. That's who we're trying to defeat. 
That's what we're trying to pull people away from, not other churches. The stylistic church says, let's make our church or our leaders famous. The substantive church says, let's make Christ famous. There's a big difference there. The stylistic church is all about members, as I said before, and money and budgets, and that's the most important thing, and you hear messages about it all the time. The substantive church is about Jesus' love and mission, and that's the most important thing. And that leads to the other things which are important, which is, of course, we want more people to come and be a part of the church. Of course, we want people to learn the joy of cheerful giving. Of course, we want all those things to happen. But it happens when our eyes are on Jesus. And that's not the goal anyway. The the goal itself is to put our eyes on Jesus, not to hit budget. Isn't it interesting in a church like Hope that is something like, what are we, 20-some years old now? We've hit budget every year. How many times have you heard us stand up here and tell you about it over those 20-some years? How many sermons have you heard about, hey, folks, we're a little nervous about budget this month? We've had some nervous months, but we don't make that the focus. We, We don't turn it into that. God provides God writes the story. We believe that if we focus on the main things, all those surface things, well, those will just flow. Those will happen. But if our focus becomes on the surface things, budget and bucks and and bodies, then we're going to lose the main thing. And it isn't going to be sustainable. Now I'm talking about the church. But what about you as an individual Christian within the church? Are you more focused on how we worship or focused on who we worship? Does it have to be a particular style for you? What if we announce today that all of our services for the next year are going to be folk music? We're going to bring in the Snow River String Band. And and they're going to lead our songs. You'll be like, well, I'm out. I cannot have that. I cannot be in a church that worships with that style. I can't be in a church with a pipe organ. I can't be in a church with drums. You're at the wrong service. I can't be in a church whatever, whatever, fill in the blank. That's not my style. That's not me. It's not that those things don't matter. Of course they matter. You're going to have the style that you prefer. I'm going to have styles I prefer. But isn't the main thing? It is. <laughs> Who we worship, not how. Isn't, as long as Jesus is in that folk music or, or, or that pipe organ or that contemporary Christian music or whatever form or style, and that's just music styles. What about all the other stylistic things in a church? Is that your focus? Is it, is it, you know, it was good today, I didn't like it today, I like this part, I didn't like that, I, I like it better when the pastor wears a suit than when he wears, you know why I'm wearing a shirt today instead of a suit? Because it's clean. And it was in my closet and it was easier to grab. That's about how much I think about these things. There, Sally thinks about them a little bit more, but she was busy doing other things. Style over, substance over Style. Stylistic Christians and churches say unity comes from who we are. We all have to agree. We all have to agree denominationally. We all have to agree on the finer points, not the main points, the finer points of theology. We all have to agree on details. We all have to agree on politics. We all have to agree on where we stand. Stylistic churches always want to know, where do you stand on the issues of our day? That's not what the Bible says our mission is, to take stands on the issues of our day. I always enjoy when people ask me, where does hope stand on it? I say, we don't. We just try to teach what the Bible teaches on those things. And we try to speak where the Bible speaks to those things. 
Substantive churches say our unity comes from Jesus Christ, who Jesus is. That's where we get our identity, not that we all vote the same way in the, in the, in the booth. Stylistic churches say the goal is to be the cool, popular church. Substantive churches say it's to be the faithful Jesus church. Not just your church, what about you? Which one do you strive for? I'll summarize it this way. And there, I mean, I could go, I could do a whole series on this. The Bible points us to a whole series on this. But here are the, the five G's, if you will, that kind of sum it all up. This was what I would call gold medal Christianity. There's the string bass player celebrating her gold medal. That's my hope for you, not that you'll be in Paris in three years and win a gold medal in the breaststroke. Although if you do, I'll cheer and I'll use a clip in a sermon. But that you would be a gold medal Christian and that you would help us become a gold medal church. Go back one screen because I think this is really important. I do not mean to suggest. Here's where Lutheran Church of Hope is perfectly and here's where all the other churches are. So, you know, we've got it right and they don't. We got spirit, yes we do. We got spirit, they don't. Neener, neener. We're on the move, I hope. We're, we're striving for this. We're, we're, hope, we're, we're making this our goal. This is where we're trying to get as a church and as individual Christians within this church. We aren't necessarily there yet. So how do we get there? The first G is to ground ourselves in the word of God. To be biblically fluent. I hear a lot of people talk about being biblically literate. The devil is biblically literate. That can't be the goal. The goal has to be fluent in scripture. Not just that you can run the category in jeopardy. But, but that it's, it's in you. It's in your heart. That it's, it's, it's your language. It's your heart language. So that when you come face to face with a difficult decision. When, when you come face to face with, with grief or mourning. Or, or, or a time of challenge in your life. You come face to face with, with those obstacles. The, the hurdles you have to jump over. And you say, I don't know how, what am I supposed to do? If you're biblically fluent, you say, you know what? This situation reminds me of a story that Jesus told in Luke 15. A man had two sons. Or this reminds me of a story. There's a man walking down a road from Jerusalem to Jericho that Jesus told in Luke 10. And then a good Samaritan came along the way. That's what I should do. That's my role in this story. That's where I should stand. To serve and to love. Instead of to dismiss everybody who doesn't agree with the priests who walk right by the person in need. When we're biblically fluent, not just biblically literate, it just, it just, it's like a heartbeat inside of us. We think this way. We breathe this way. Is this you? And if it isn't you, I'm not here to guilt you or shame you. I'm here to invite you and to ask you, when will you take the time to get to know God better by diving into his word? When will it be that season of your life? You say, well, I took confirmation once upon a time, uh, maybe way back when if you're older, or last, last year if you're in eighth grade, and I got confirmed, so isn't that enough? Don't, don't I know it now? You know some of the basics, but you can never get to the point where you've learned it all. When will you take the time to get to know God better? We have a whole slew of classes that start in just about a month here at Hope in person and online, whatever works for you, wherever you are anywhere in the world. If you're brand new to this and you want to restart your journey, start with Alpha. 
Thousands of people have taken this course here at Hope, and it has been a game changer for them. If you've taken Alpha, then take the next steps. Get into a Bible study group, men's group, women's group, couples group. Uh, get into a Bible study class, a deeper class. Pastor Caroline's doing a, a, a great series, of an after-Alpha class. There are all sorts of other opportunities. Uh, dive into the resources we have online, uh, the Bible study resources. When will you take the time to get to know God better? When is that season of your life going to come? Because if the last year plus has taught us anything, it's that we need something a little deeper than just, I hope things get better. And when they do, maybe we'll be okay. What if you had something that was so strong, it was the foundation of your life, that put your roots down into the rich, good soil of God's amazing grace and love, that you didn't need the world to get right before you got right, before you were okay, before you found peace and joy and hope again. That's what's at stake here. Because I cannot guarantee you the world's going to sort itself out. None of us can. We don't know what's going to happen next with this pandemic. We don't know what's going to happen next with the issues that face our world, the challenges before us. If you need everything to get right in your life, and that's just the news of the day, then there's the individual specific circumstances of your own life. If you need those to get all ironed out and smoothed out before you can be okay, you might be missing the point of life. That God has given you something that you're just underestimating. That would give you a peace and a joy right in the middle of it all. When will you take the time to explore this? To dive into God's word, to get to know God better? The second G is that God's grace and love start to overflow. And I preached on that a few weeks ago, so I'll just let that be. The third G is that we would, because of God's grace and love, and because we're grounded in God's word, we would become gritty and passionate and all-in kinds of Christians who are focused on Christian mission, and we don't care what people say about us anymore. We don't care if people mock us or persecute us or say, oh, well, those Christians, you know them. They're just not very cool. Well, that's not our goal anyway. Our goal is much deeper. And when we're substantive Christians and we become part of a substantive church... We don't care what the world thinks of us. We care what God thinks of us. And we're all in, which leads to the fourth G, which is a godly confidence. I've said this so many times before, I almost hesitate to repeat it, but if you're new, you need to hear this, I believe. Confidence literally means to walk with faith. Con is with, fide is faith. If you are walking with faith, you cannot be anything but confident. Not cocky, not arrogant, not annoying, quiet confidence. A confidence that says, even if the world kills me, God's got me. And that that's so deep into you. And it isn't distracted out of the way by the surface things of religion and spirituality. But that's the essence of your very being, how you breathe. I belong to the one who's the resurrection and the life. I don't have to fear the grave any more than I fear going to bed at night. I won't be afraid. I have a quiet confidence. I have a quiet confidence about who I am and whose I am and how my story ends. So in the midst between now and how that story ends and from eternity looking back, I'm going to deal with what comes. I have this godly confidence. The Bible says walk by faith, not by sight. I don't need to see everything in order to believe it. One final story, a great Olympic story. This is Gable Stevenson. Maybe you know this story already. He's over on the right. He's 
the heavy, super heavyweight for the United States of America in freestyle wrestling. He's going up against, I don't know, some dude from the nation of Georgia who's the undefeated three-time world wrestling champion and makes Gable Stevenson, who's not a small man, look small when they stand up completely and their posture is good. So here comes Gable, who's a 21-year-old student at the University of Minnesota, good wrestler, named after Dan Gable. You gotta like that. What do you, what do you think his parents wanted him to do? <laughs> so we're gonna name you after the, the world champion, Iowa, University of Iowa, uh, most winning college wrestling coach in the history of wrestling. So we really kind of want you to be a chess club champion. That's what we're hoping you'll do. So they name him Gable, and he's a good kid, and they're followers of Jesus, and that's, that's always at the root of these stories. So many of them, anyway. It is for Gable. Paul says all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So we do all these things. We... We, we, we train our bodies so that we can go up against the undefeated three-time world champion. And the whole wrestling world says, Gable really doesn't have a shot. I mean, there's, there's just not going to happen. This guy doesn't lose. He's just a machine, right? But Gable goes in there, and sure enough, toward the end of the, the, end of the match, the gold medal match, the undefeated three-time champion from the nation of Georgia is winning convincingly. He's up three points with 24 seconds to go. If you know anything about Olympic wrestling and the scoring system, and I do because I'm a nerd that way, the only way Gable can win is within 24 seconds, something he hasn't been able to do hardly at all for the first five minutes and 30-plus seconds, 36 seconds, so now in the last 24 seconds, as he's totally exhausted, have you ever wrestled? Do you know how tired you get at the end of a wrestling match? So now at the very end of this wrestling match, he needs to um, take down the three-time undefeated world champion for a two-point takedown. Then he needs to counterintuitively let him go and stand back up. And this is all within the 24 seconds. Take him down again so that he can score four points and win the gold medal. Otherwise, it's silver for Gable. But you know, when God writes the story. Gable Stevenson of the United States, a 21-year-old kid from Apple Valley, Minnesota, named for a wrestling icon, the great Dan Gable, Olympic gold medalist, world champion, NCAA champion, legendary coaching career at Iowa. Well, this young man from Minnesota is threatening to thrust himself into the pantheon of Olympic champion. But to get there, he's got to go through the man that's won the last three world titles at this weight. Jeno Petriashvili from the nation of Georgia. It's getting tough, it's getting tough. It's getting tough. Readjust, readjust. Two on the turn for the Georgian. He's got the lead and looking for more. Stevenson saving it for the moment. Dia, 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 Dia. Good job. 24 seconds left. Can Stevenson summon a rally here in this last stretch 
Nice Georgian just diving in on the leg, locking the leg down. Experience, patience there from a guy who's been in the heat of the battle at these big international moments more than the young American. But now, two there for Stevenson. Cutting him loose to come back to the center. Has to have it here. Fake snap, fake snap, fake snap, fake snap, fake snap. Fake snap, go get it, go get it, go get Trying it. Trying to come it. around. And here it comes. The celebration backflip, his trademark at the NCAAs, at the U.S. Olympic trials, and now in the biggest moment of his life at the Olympics in Tokyo. USA! <laughs> that was awesome. I set you up on that. I said 24 seconds, but I knew it was actually going to get down to 13. And he's still down three points. You don't... Eighth graders don't win when they're down three points with 13 seconds to go. It just, it's like next to impossible. But Gable defeated the three-time world champion. I don't know, how did he, how did he do that? I'm not sure. But I know at the very least it's a metaphor. Because maybe you feel like you're down three points. <laughs> or 30. And time's running out on the clock and you've about had it. And it's not just the news, it's just, you know, it's draining. This, this thing, beginning of the summer, like, oh, yay, pandemic, just about done, woo, yay. And now, maybe here it comes again. How much more can we take? I don't know about you, but I, I don't think we've been hit with this much bad news and a series of bad news, at least in my lifetime. How many millions of people have died? How many hundreds of thousands of Americans? And that's just a part of the story. What else are you up against? Now let me ask you a more important question. Who's writing your story? Where are your roots? On surface things, the, the, the stuff that isn't going to have the potential to do anything for you up against the big foes, or something deeper, something that produces God's grace and love and it overflows out of us and it leads to a passionate all-in grit and a godly confidence and then this genuine joy starts to prevail even though things didn't get better. Where does that come from? It comes from our God. It comes from the God who's writing our stories. And so the Bible says this in the end. O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth. Nothing's too hard for you. Nothing's too hard for you. What if you were fluent in that verse? What if you lived with a faith in a God who says nothing's impossible for me? I'm with you. And if you please would just check my track record and my history when you and my people in my church are up against it the most, that's when things get really good. That's when they get the best. The gold medals are coming. You keep the faith. Don't you ever give up on God. Let's stand up and together sing this song.